Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Bill. Thanks for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. What's some shit you want to talk about today? Um, I guess we'll go over the uh, origins of Authority Zero and uh, touring life and maybe perhaps how it affects the body and brain. Seems like a good thing to do, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I don't think a lot of people really think about how uh, how band life really affects a person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know... Uh, we'll fast forward to when we were touring. I could go back to the roots of it later. It was, you know, me and Jason started it in 94. And then in 2001, we were on the road as early twenties in our early twenties. So basically you would drive, you know, four to 12 hours to get to the venue. You'd load in, uh, do a sound check. Then you'd go back to the hotel. Or if you had no hotel, you go take a nap in the van. So your sleep hygiene was very poor. Which, if you know anything about mental health, that's terrible. So, yeah. And uh, the writer we had was, uh, let's see, a case of beer, uh, a bottle of Jaeger, and a bottle of uh, Jameson. And that's just to get this the night going, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Because then we would we drink that pretty much before the show, and then after the show, you'd have fans buying you booze, and you buy your own. So, I mean, I quit drinking. About 15 years ago now, but back then, oh wow, we were super drunks, dude. <laughs> oh wow, all right, <laughs> yeah, so that's a definitely something we'll go into a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for people uh, listening, uh, because as I say in a lot of episodes, we have people that listen and then they also see the show if they want to check it out on YouTube. So a couple different mm-hmm. ways to listen. And one thing that I do want to recap here is. Bill and I met when we were working at an old company together, a tech company. And little did I know, I was like, I've heard of Authority Zero. I loved their music. And my partner, Tyler, has told me multiple times that Bill was one of the founding members. And I was like, okay, cool. Never registered. And then about a week ago, I was like, oh, shit, Bill's one of the founding members. (laughs) And we can come on the show for sure. Yeah, yeah, I have plenty so. of stories, plenty of stories. Some of them, <laughs> some of them I can't tell, but most of them, yeah. <laughs> and and that's like, uh, and just talking about, because I feel like so many people don't look at behind the scenes of being in a band and what it does to you and then life after a band. And so how did you guys get started? Uh, well, we were just kids. Like Jason was 15, I was 16, and uh, we were hanging out in Mesa. I had about four songs done. My friend Jerry Douglas. Jerry was Jason's buddy. Jason was visiting because he didn't live in Mesa. He came from Wyoming, but he was staying with his father. Uh, He was really good at writing lyrics and hooks. So I I asked him to be part of the band, and then we we took off from there. Uh, We used to play multiple gigs uh, a night for many years in our early, I'm sorry, in our early 20s, maybe like 19 to 23. Mm-hmm. And we started getting uh, noticed, um, so we recorded a demo with Craven Moorhead, who used to be on the edge, um, but now he's over on uh, 98 KUPD doing Go Punk Yourself, so 
uh, we, we recorded an album with, or not an album, well, it was an album, but it was an EP. It was just a demo. And they were spinning it, spinning it at the edge. So back in the day, they had this thing called BDS, which is a broadcast digital system. So labels were seeing that we were being constantly spun with no label. So uh, Craven and Nancy Stevens, who was the program director of, um, of uh, The Edge back in the day, got us a bunch of scouts that came out for labels. And then we got uh, signed to Lava Atlantic Records. And, you know, we ended up touring the, the whole world, really. Um, was that always your dream to tour? Or oh, was, yeah. like, you always wanted to be a rock star? Well, yeah, it's like, I just had this feeling that I would work anyways when I was sitting in Mexico one time. I was wasted, of course. But, <laughs> but we, we had all our stuff, just all our things in a row, all our ducks in a row. And I'm like, no, nah, we're just going to, you know, be a rock star. I'm just going to be a rock star. I just knew I was going to do it. And uh, okay. my mom's like, well, why don't you still go to college so that you have something to fall back on? So I did that and got a degree in Spanish and in case I wanted to interpret, teach, or uh, or translate. And then right after college, I graduated in 2001, we got signed, and then we toured the nation, the world. So, What was that like when you guys got signed? And I, you know, in the movies or you hear about people when they go to get signed, some, the band may break up because, uh, you know, some... They may like someone more than others. So what was that experience like? Was it like instant, like day later you guys are signed or? Oh, no, it took us many years of struggling to get there for sure. Uh, right before that, I took the demo with my friends with, with Authority Zero down to uh, Rocky Point, and I And I negotiated with Viña del Mar there, which is a, it's got a swim up bar and it's a hotel. So I negotiated two weeks of room and board so that we would just play on the weekends there. And uh, so we stayed down in Mexico for a couple weeks. And this was uh, strategic because uh, the different spring breaks for different colleges and schools occurred at different times. So next thing you knew, our demo was in California and Colorado and New New Mexico because everyone came there. And we were and you saw our local, our stickers all over. Uh, And everyone knew me as Chiriwero, the the cool white guy down there. Because I like (laughs) I stayed down there. The rest of the boys went up during the week and me and my brother just stayed down. Because I took two weeks off of work or whatever I was doing at the time. I just lived as a Mexican down there. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And, like, what, what, how, how did you get through the grind? Because that's a hard, you said for years, it wasn't until mm. you were, what, 23-ish when you guys mm. got found in high school just, to 23? Uh, that's a that's We had a, a shit ton of, shit ton of energy. And to be quite honest, a shit ton of booze. <laughs> so that was what that was our uh, muse, you know. Like uh, that was um, uh, Jim Morrison's muse as well. So that was our thing. We were known as a party band, you know. And everyone loved when we would come through. Everyone get wasted. The bars loved us too, you know, because that sold a lot of uh, alcohol as well. So right. And what did everybody play? You mean instrument wise? Yeah. Oh, okay, I played guitar. My buddy Jeremy, who I'm now playing in a new band called Cero Viejo, which means Old Zero, he played bass. Uh, Jason DeVore, he was on uh, Vox vocals. And then Jim Wilcox was on drums. Okay. So, 
Mm-hmm. And and so tell us a little bit about the new band, because I remember right before we uh, started recording, you told me why, and I really relate to that part. So what oh, is Old yeah. Zero? Old Zero, we started about five years ago. I mean, me and Jeremy, everyone toward the end had a falling out of the old school crew, but we all buried the hatchet since. And uh, me and Jeremy had uh, recorded about three songs already. Um, me and Jeremy and, and our and our friend show, he's a really talented drummer uh, that plays with pretty much every band in the valley <laughs> constantly. Um, we put down three songs, and then like I was telling you before, you know, I had those two incidents with hyponatremia in the hospital, where I ended up in the hospital where it's like your salts are too low, so you almost go into a seizure. Uh, you feel like you're drunk, all that good stuff. And that was attributed to Lexapro, which I was on since I was 22. Then they threw me through a gambit of different SSRIs and SNRIs to try to figure out how to stabilize me once again, because I was so used to uh, Lexapro. Ended up, I ended up admitting myself to uh, mental joints twice. Uh, the second time actually seemed to work to um, stabilize me because I was uh, having you know suicidal ideations, things like that. I knew there were fantasies and I wouldn't fall through with them, but I couldn't get them out of my head um, because it yeah. also coin, coincided with, with the divorce I was going through. I figured I'll talk about it on this show because it makes sense. You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, it's, it's shit no one wants to talk about, like mental health right. and, you know, checking mm-hmm. yourself in, going through a divorce. Like, that is hard shit. Yeah, like, that is not something that, you know, a lot of people do talk about. They they hide it. So yeah, I mean, it's, tab- it's taboo, and it's kind of nice that you bring it to the forefront because it's like I'd rather more people did that than, you know, like my cousin recently, you know, kill yourself or anything like that. You know, I'd rather you go take care of yourself, you know, so. 100%. 100%. So you, uh, you oh. got the help the second time. and uh, Yeah. And then I, and now, I can, now I'm pretty, I'm pretty much stable. I'm, I'm functional. I'm going to, I'm back to work full time playing music. Uh, I'm doing jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. I'm back in the gym. I'm training for a half marathon. Uh, and, but I did decide we needed to cover uh, Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones, which is a song about 1960s women who I believe it was value. You know, it was a different drug, but it's something like Valium that everyone was on and overdosing because doctors were handing it out like candy. Um, it's a uh, here. I'll look it up. It's uh, a yeah, I'm all like now I'm like wondering because I know wasn't LSD uh, mm, really popular mm, about that time. It, it was, but this is more of like a benzo or a um, barbiturate of some sort. Um, but yeah, you know, it just struck home with me because of all the rigmarole I've been through psychologically mm-hmm. and medically. Uh, so we, you know, got together, me and Jeremy, and Joe put down the drums, the bass, and the guitar. And Jason, the old uh, singer from Authority, well, the singer from Authority Zero, he's still doing it. Came in to to uh, record it with us, and the, the the hook is "What a drag it is getting old" because we're all getting older. And um, Mother's little helper, he he refers to the little yellow pills to get her through her day. And I'm like, that's me all day with this nonsense they got me on for now to keep me stable. Yeah. Eventually, I probably will taper off, but um, I'm not doing that right now. Not not because yeah. I'm still kind of going through the divorce and all that bullshit. So. Yeah, and I mean, like mental health, like in general, and when people talk about the the pill cocktail or your Uh drug cocktail. Like I think it's something that so many people don't realize that a, it's so different for each individual. The long-term effects on people uh, aren't a hundred percent 
like figured out yet. Because like, as you were saying, if, uh, cause you were on it for 20 years, like your brain was dependent on it and probably formed around it. And like for myself, I have, I had adverse effects when I was on, when they put me on Zoloft when I was a teenager. And like, so there's, but now I don't know what I would do without my um, daily medications because it helps me with my bipolar. It helps me with, um, you know, my depression, anxiety, and ADHD. So, you know, we all have. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) For sure. I know. Yeah. But, uh, what one thing that we were starting to talk to is so what was it like you guys worked so hard for so many years and yes it was the booze and the energy and mm-hmm. you know loving the music that kept you guys going what was it like when you guys were were found all right so labeled? when we first got found we i'll tell the four mention a four mentioned a story that occurred right before we signed with lava we went to vegas because um Roadrunner Records was interested in us, and they gave us a handshake deal. Roadrunner, Roadrunner Records did like um, new uh, the Bloodhound Gang and all that stuff. They were uh, and Slayer. They were off. They didn't do Slayer, but they were off of that label. But mm-hmm. Lava came with a bigger offer, so we went with them. So that was kind of I don't know. We probably should have went with the first offer, but it was nice. So basically, we closed a deal for about three point two million dollars them to uh, do our promo and all that good stuff and uh signing um you know they gave us about 80k a pop as a 22 year old 23 year old was that to start so when you guys get signed you get all this money and then this is the old way things were this doesn't happen anymore okay yeah no they gave us that's called an advance and then and then what it is is that you sell enough pieces i think ours was about a I think we had to get to a gold record, which is 500 pieces before you even broke even. That you would get you would get money back after you've paid for that 3.2 million dollars they put into promotion, to studio production, to your uh, to your advance, etc. They they even gave us per diems of like 500 a week and put us up to go record wow. out in in Burbank and and we used to literally drink uh, over at uh, Dimples, which was across the street from Jay Leno. And people would always go there to get famous, and we would drink them out of all of their Jaeger every night. <laughs> so a lot Why of our Jaeger, like no, Jason was on it. Jason was loving that shit, and it just that's what we stuck with. And we would just drink bo- literally bottles of it. Like, I would say the only time that I've enjoyed Jaeger is when I spent some time in Romania. They would oh. do a shot of Jaeger with an orange slice. And that sounds it like actually, okay. yeah, like it actually like balanced out and tasted okay, but the the rest of it, no, thank you. And uh, for anybody listening, uh, yes, we are talking about alcohol and you know those type of things. Please skip forward through this if it's you know triggering you triggering, or anything, because yeah. I mean that's a part of many people's lives. But and a past of bills, and I know I used to party a lot, but um, for anybody listening, like it's not something that. We're, we're wanting to highlight. It's no, definitely no. a, just, and just a past. As a matter of fact, I haven't had a drink in over 15 years now. So, I mean that, you know, I finally did quit uh, eventually on my own. So just so, so they know that too. Yeah. Thank you. And what year, um, because that, that makes me curious of how you left, but I have questions before of how you left and then became sure. sober and 
all of that. Well, I was um, sober the last two years I was with him, and that's half the reason I left. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Okay. So well, yeah. we have some some interesting parts to go through. Um, so you guys got signed. And then how did the tour start, and what was that life? How did that change? Were you well, still in a van? Oh, yeah. We were. We were in a 15-passenger van with a, a 10-foot trailer. But actually, we even had an RV at one point that fell apart. So most people just use those 15-passenger vans. Or na- nowadays, the new kids use the Sprinters, the Dodge Sprinters. Yeah. But no, yeah, you would be driving um, 4 to 12 hours a day. You'd, lo- you'd lo- load in for sound check at like 4. You'd maybe get some dinner. Uh, but then, like, I think maybe we covered it. Uh, not to glamorize it, but we would have a, you know, a case of beer and a bottle of Jaeger and a bottle of Jameson just to start off the night. Yeah. 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 We keep drinking until dawn every night. And then you get up and your one guy stays sober enough to to drive to the next town, 12, 14 hours, which is terrible on your sleep, your sleep hygiene in your twenties. You're definitely more resilient, but it does catch up with the best of us. That's why you see so many of those deaths in the in rock in not just rock, but in the the entertainment industry. You know, it's like they yeah. keep going as hard as they did in the twenties, in their fifties, and it, or even sometimes twenty seven. It looks like that was the twenty seven club that killed a lot yeah. of them. So. Yeah. What was it like when? So how did you go from you know going everywhere in the van to going international? Um. Well, we did all. 40, I never made it to Alaska. They literally just got there now. And Jason's the only one original member left with four, uh, with three other dudes who are all cool. But they finally got to Alaska. We went to all 49 states, you know, besides Alaska. And all of Canada. And Mex- we did a little bit of Mexico. Then after that, um, when, uh, toward 2008, when I went to, I, I went with them. We, we went to uh, Tokyo, Osaka. We went to we did a Japanese run for three weeks, which was just awesome, and um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we went with Less Than Jake, and they taught us uh, different phrases that you have to say because Japanese audiences are respectful and they won't make noise unless you tell them to. And they, oh. yeah, after, after you uh, play a song, you'd have to be like Sawage, you know, Sawage, like make noise, moto, moto, more, more, like so. Less Than Jake kind of gave us some tips on that, you know. Uh, but when we were in Osaka, of course, there was a bunch of Marines. So th- that's when you knew that they were Americans because they're yelling and, and, and having a good time. So it's the different culture there, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't make it to the Euro runs that happened after I left in 2008, but okay. the next crew did, they got to all the European joints. I, I've been oh. to Europe, but not with the band. So, yeah. What was it like having your audiences grow? Because, like, you know, you were probably, when you started out, with it was really, really small gigs, smaller mm-hmm. venues. And then as you get more famous, it's, I would only imagine, bigger venues. Yeah, that was the cool part to watch it grow. But locally, you know, we started in, in uh, you know, we wouldn't have many people. Maybe our friends, maybe our family. Little bit by little bit, people, you know, either liked it or told their buddy about it. So it kind of grew on its own. And then when we were on the radio, all of a sudden everyone showed up, you know, because they're like, who, who the hell is, who is this on the radio? Yeah. And then it can, kind of kept stacking from there, from word of mouth and at the time, MySpace. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh, uh, I missed MySpace. Blogs. And, uh, 
you know, college radio stations picked this up. Uh, uh, people were asking if they could use our music in like college classes, projects, things like that, because of that. Like I said, because we had done, you know, 5,000 copies to hand out in Mexico when we were playing down there. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see it grow. And then mm-hmm. it was even more immense when we like went on radio tour, like warp tour. We went on and a lot of radio gigs we were doing with like, uh, I don't know, boxcar racer, which is Travis Barker's one of his other bands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not Travis. What the hell am I saying? No, it's the other guy from blink. I'm, I'm going to get shot for not knowing this. I'm like horrible at remembering names. Like Tyler will uh, play a song and be like, who is this? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Tom DeLong. Like, that Tom DeLong. I was going to uh, kick myself, but you know, wait, they were playing before us and they got, bo- they got booed off stage. Cause the, the people wanted to see us 18,000 people. Wait, I felt bad. Really? Yeah. 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 Cause we were like the local heroes. Yeah. I was at edge fest and they're like booing them cause That's they're good, crazy. but they're just kind of like, low energy and when we would play man like places would just get destroyed because yeah. it wasn't a bad energy but it was like everyone was just so energized that right. everything came up the, the barriers they never had enough security like trash cans were getting were getting crowd surfed it's just what we did when we came through a town you know oh my gosh i <laughs> wish i i was able to see that i went to one war tour and it was amazing but oh yeah you know mm-hmm. that was i don't well, maybe you guys were still touring and I saw you because I think it was 2007. Did you guys ever yeah. play yeah. Warp Tour in 2007? Oh, absolutely. You probably in saw Denver? us. Then I might uh, have Yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah, Sweet. I remember Denver because if you look it up, 2007 Denver, we had a huge pit. And Jason almost got arrested because he, he went up the pole, the light pole, and he was getting the crowd going. That's, that's how badass he is, you know? He took a page out of Eddie Vedder's book where he was just the the energy bomb. Um, so also, cool. when, you, when you play in Colorado, the oxygen's low, too. So it's, oh, it's yeah. like when you're playing that fast punk and you're singing, it was like <sighs> even when we were in good shape in our 20s. So uh, we that played so at Mile cool. High Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. I was there. I was there. I was that there, was so too. Cool. <laughs> yes. I might have seen you before I knew you. That Probably so did. Crazy. That is yep. so crazy. Um, and for those uh, uh, listeners, uh, when we talk about like local and that kind of stuff, I'm from Phoenix, and he's from, and Bill's from Phoenix, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Phoenix, Arizona, and ah, I'm, yes. um, you know, he's talking about the towns, and I'm just totally following along because I know them all, but it's all suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, right, right. But that is so cool, and Warp Tour, and uh, that so when. You talked about like it was a few years uh, prior to ending or like, you know, leaving the band. What made you like, how long did it take for, you know, the drinking and the partying to catch up? And then what made you choose to go sober? All right. Well, in my 20s, right before I got married, um, I was having severe, severe. I've always had it even as a child, but it was undiagnosed, but severe depression, anxiety, things like that. I was self-medicating with the booze, of course, but it wasn't, it wasn't working anymore. You know, it's like I was constantly on the road, not sleeping at all. Uh, well, you were sleeping, but not enough, you know? Yeah. So I got on Lexapro when I was in my twenties and that helped for a bit. And, and, uh, Benzo, which was Xanax here and there, which is pretty much booze and a pill, you know, it's yeah. the same thing affects the GABA. Um, anyways, went, 
through that as a, a loop for a long ass time um, until uh, 2007, I want to say. I was completely hammered and uh, I punched through a, a hotel window because I didn't have my key and almost died, like literally almost bled out. Like if you look, people um, that people oh, think shit. that I try to people try to think that I try to kill myself, which I didn't. Um, I just punched through glass and and I bled out about four quarts, so I should probably be dead. <laughs> but that was the first kind of wake up thing, and then I, I still kept drinking. And then there was another thing that happened where me and my brother got in a real bad fight, and he got real hurt. And then after that, I just stopped. No, no. Uh, AA or anything like that. I just stopped. You know. How did your body do with that? Like after so long of drinking. Well, that's the thing. It's like you are addicted. You know, it's it's in my blood too. Where alcoholism runs in our family. Um, a little, sh- you know, shaky at first, things like that. But I, I offset it by uh, training for a marathon. I ran a marathon. Uh, just you know, ran it out of myself with the dopamine and the endorphins, etc. And be honest with you, I was still on the Lexpro, which was keeping me pretty fucking stale. And yeah. if I needed it at the time, the uh, the Xanax. So that's it, it isn't like you quit drinking in that aspect because you're still taking something that acts as if it were booze. It just has a longer half life. So yeah, but you know, I quit drinking completely. So and that was uh, before you met your wife, or uh, right no, around the same time. Nah, we were. Me and my wife used to party all the time and stuff too, and uh, I quit about a year. Well, no, a year after we were married. Okay. Was, it probably wouldn't like. Well, it obviously didn't work out in the long run, but yeah. back then she was about to bounce already because I was a, a mess, you know. So yeah. I just gave gave it up. The last two years I was on tour, it, it became a lot less fun or a lot less fun for me because I was, you know in the parking lot lifting weights or reading the Godfather while the, because I was like the sober ride for two years while they were getting wasted until two and four in the morning. And then it's like after a bit of that, plus we weren't making as much money. Um, yeah. And I had two kids. I was like, all right, I'm done. You know, it's kind of shattering for a bit for Jason because him and I came up together. We're, we're still friends and, because you were the first one to leave, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, me and Jeremy got into a disagreement, and he left first. Okay. Not by his own will, but then, then it yeah. kind of was a downward spiral from there. Where, you know, I I quit, and then they had a since me. I think they've literally had about six guitarists. Oh so wow! Okay. Jason's still going, and they had yeah good guitarists, and they've been through three two bassists, three two bassists. And three drummers. So, but Jason's still doing his damn thing. So that's good for him, you know. Yeah. And those boys. Mike. Mike's a real good guy. Uh, Chris. Um, Eric. Everyone's really good. They're and my buddies like, still. Walsh. All them. What What is it like just traveling with you know a group of people where you literally cannot get away from them? I mean, I get I'm an only child, so it's probably like mm. even like harder for me to imagine. But like being with people from. Because how old were you in 2007, 2008? I was early 30s at that point, but it was... That's like it was 15 like, years of being stuck with people. I say stuck because... Of it was, was, it was. It was like family. <laughs> you know, it's like you fought, yeah. but you love each, you fought, but you love each other. But there, it wasn't like a house. Like we were in... Yeah. 
a van pretty much the whole time because we were never mainstream enough to afford like a, a bus. Those things are like grips of money, you know? Yeah. And a van is very low for a budget. But, you know, you're sitting two feet away from people that you just got in a fight with the night before. and mm. Or I may get too drunk and headbutted someone or someone. <laughs> you know, shit like that was, it was just bad news. Like, not good, you know? Like, yeah. I started out a happy drunk, but I got more violent toward the end. That's why I had to quit that shit, too, you know? Yeah. And what, so what's it like when you left and, like, uh, you know, giving up that that lifestyle? And how did you find your way back to I'm going to say a quote unquote, you know, like normal lifestyle because it's different for everybody, but yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it was, um, it was like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I didn't even know how to, it wasn't the same world at all. Like, so I substitute taught for about three years to kind of two years to kind of make ends meet and my wife or ex-wife at the time, she was studying to become a school psychologist. And she, that's what she is now. Um, you know, uh, so I did my best to, to make dough. So we were, uh, I'm, I'm still, I was still getting royalty checks from authority zero, which, which kept dwindling because mm-hmm. it's just kind of how the industry went after a while. Yeah. Like music, it doesn't pay people anymore. It just sucks. You know, yeah. like if you look up Spotify and, and royalties, you'll see tons of lawsuits, et cetera. Just, it got harder for musicians. So I was, you know, substitute teaching. And then I was doing long-term substitute teaching for a Spanish class. And, um, I couldn't just take over for the teacher. He, he got booted because he, he missed, or he couldn't pass the aptitude test. Yeah. Arizona education, educators proficiency exam. I passed Mm. it after 10 years of being out of school. Oh, wow. for Spanish and secondary ed, but at the time, it wasn't like now, where there was a shortage of teachers, but they, they wanted me to go through all this practicum and all this shit, and then you're going to make 35000 a year, and I just, it wasn't going to cut yeah. it, you know? And that's when I ended up at GoDaddy, because my dad, oh, I don't know, whatever, I guess I'll say it, my dad found uh, an ad for jobs there for bilingual so that's okay. how I got my foot foot in the door there. I was the only no. There's two whiteies in there. Me and another white cat. And in the, in the uh, this was before GoDaddy was as big as it was. There was only two thousand people there. Yeah. And and the supervisor Martin, he was interviewing me in Spanish, and my Spanish is fine, but but a lot of those terms, as you know, are kind of weird. Very in, technical in the, in the internet world. Plus the yeah. different dialogues or dialects, like. Uh, in Venezuela, they'd call it a ficha for a, like an eyebrow for a, for a tab mm-hmm. and other, and other places like pestañas. I, I don't know. I wait, no features the my bad feature was like, if you have a domino and pestañas was what Spain called it, which is eyelashes. But I had to like, not only speak in Spanish, but learn a new dialect mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, and learn the technology mm-hmm. and learn what the hell it is even doing, you know? Yeah. And, at the time, I was the only guy that spoke Portuguese there, as opposed to now they're, they're so big that they have mm-hmm. full departments for all these languages. So I was taking mm-hmm. care of social media stuff, uh, office of the president before it was the oh. office of the CEO. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. If they had complaints in Portuguese, I was in there. Um, also, the extended validation SSL certificates, they had me in there translating bank documents. 
was like, this was, it was like back in the day though. There's like 2000 people yeah. at GoDaddy, you know? So. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners, like this is like, yes, it may sound super foreign, not even just the language, but the tech. Uh, when I said that we worked at a tech company, literally, (laughs) like literally was all internet things that, I mean, it was hard enough to learn in English and that's the only language I speak. It was definitely something that I was, that I can only imagine learning the tech, then having to put it in Spanish and into Portuguese. Mm. And the uh, GoDaddy is now, I believe, over 7,000 employees. At least that was like 2018-ish. And, yeah, they're getting more um, bad now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, they actually have locations worldwide. So mm. they have locations uh, in South America. They have locations throughout Europe and China. So it, it is definitely something where uh, Bill was uh, part of the, the OG crew there too. <laughs> totally. They called it El Equipo, the, the team. So, and I was nice. Gringo Bill. That's where I got my nickname, Gringo Bill, because uh, there's a difficult customer that I always called it. And he, not only did he not like my Spanish, but he didn't like other people who were actual naturals born speaking Spanish. He's like, oh, great. I'm on with Gringo Bill. So Gringo Bill is what was, was my radio um, persona when I was doing uh, a show with Craven Moorhead because uh, he got kicked he got booted from the edge because the edge was no longer. So he and I did some podcast stuff. I did around the world. No, I did Scott punk passport with gringo bill, but that came from that. The team all knew me as gringo bill. You know, I was like the one or two of the white people that were in that team. So it's pretty cool. Okay. Well, I'm glad, uh, I also, <laughs> uh, described authority zero, right? Because like people that have heard of you or those who haven't heard of authority zero, I'm like, yeah, they're like Scott punk. And they, yep, and yep. they would be, they would be like, yeah, I don't listen to that. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, that is what I Who grew knows? up on in, in high school. So, uh, that is, I am very fortunate, uh, for that because it's just the feeling and the vibe and, you know, you can get anger out or you can, you know, uh, sing a melody to someone that is the, some of the favorite Emmy instruments, Ugh. definitely brings back memories. Um, oh yeah. So you transitioned to being, uh, you know, a teacher and you're back into like being home permanently, mm-hmm. <laughs> more mm-hmm. or less permanently. Mm-hmm. What was that like with, um, you know, be like, how old were your kids when you came home? I mean, two and one. Yeah. You know, real young yet. So. So I bet I they did... really appreciated having you home again. Yeah. I wanted to be home for them too. Cause like, I remember when Liam was born, I came back and he was a huge person almost not really, but you know what I mean? He doubled in size. I'm like, man, I'm yeah. going to miss these kids life, you know? So yeah. that was another yeah. decision to come back and how live was with your, them and take care of them. So, yeah. How was your mental health when you got back in that transition? Because that is something that I think a lot of people don't really think about. I like, for example, I got sent to work to Europe for three months. And when I came back, Yes, I've talked about reverse culture shock, but it was also like the changes of this is the closest thing to a tour I've ever been on is I had to move locations almost every week and Mm. live out of a hotel for three months. So it's definitely not the same extreme whatsoever. But I know that I had a really hard time coming back to the States and being in one spot. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you? Like that is that is a lot of travel down and like no travel. Yeah, you'd wake up. I wouldn't know where it was. Like, it didn't look like a, a Motel 6 or anything like that, you know? You'd wake up confused a lot. 
Um, you do get this. You could look this up too, like a post-tour depression. Like, oh wow, okay. You know, it's it's kind of like not. I'm not going to equate it to like being in the military or something, but you're always on an adrenaline rush when you're out on tour. You're like up on mm-hmm. you're you're performing every night, so you're, mm-hmm. you're you're getting that dopamine. You're getting the, the endorphins. And pretty much, you have withdrawal from that because mm-hmm. you're just doing mundane shit after that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's great you know you're like raising your kids and you're going to 40 hour a week job but you're just like wow this is not exciting at all <laughs> so so your brain when... you, you know you have to kind of stabilize and that's why to keep things interesting i'm still doing music now but it's a hobby it's not a business it's fun still so that keeps me yeah. from going insane sitting at a desk eight hours a day, you know? So Yeah. And that's a, a big reason as well that I do this as the podcast as a passion project, yeah. because Good. yeah, one day I, I do hope that it becomes like, it's cool nonprofit and helps individuals and, you know, make bigger change. But I'm like, I don't want to be so like stuck on it making money or yeah. anything like that, because I'm like, I'm so passionate about it. I want to give up that passion. Good, but, good fucking plan. Because once it becomes something that's like a LLC, like art we became, you know, like mm-hmm. your passion's still there, but it dwindles because yeah. it turns into a business and then it becomes like, this is my job, you know? So I'm glad <laughs> I like to keep both going. I like the 40 hour week crap, <laughs> you know, yep, yep. but I love being able to express myself with music as well as get that energy out as well. Yeah. Um, and really funny, my so uh, I have two people that are on like my podcast team, uh, Trom and Bill. Okay. And then my boss at work's name is Bill. So um, I started sending uh, uh, Bill that's on my team. He is the business manager. So okay. I was like, I don't think I've ever known so many bills at my life. So I sent him a lot <laughs> of like dollar sign emo- or like the, the <laughs> cash emojis because I'm like, it's all the bills. Oh, yeah. That, I'm definitely still very silly like that because I'm like, I thought it was hilarious. Nobody else really thinks that it's that funny, but you know. I thought I it was do. funny. I guess <laughs> I have to see it too, though. You know, it's probably more funny seeing the emojis. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Effect. So I know one thing that we did talk about too was the fact that um, uh, like fast forwarding and to the last few years you mentioned, especially like checking yourself in. Um, oh yeah. What was that like, like going through the divorce and then can you tell us more, a bit more oh, yeah. about the lack yeah. of salt? Yeah. So I, it, that was kind of a long time coming. Um, she just didn't dig me anymore as best I could put it. We tried to go through the uh, counseling, et cetera, just didn't work out. It really threw me into a really deep depression because not only was that occurring, but you know, I was on probably my fifth medication they were trying to they were trying to stabilize me on and then and that's when I was still in with her I went to the first place and it was okay you know they give you the uh if anyone's ever been in one where I could tell you how it goes you go into the they uh assess you to see if you're a threat to yourself or anyone else and of course I had you know SI so suicidal ideation um I knew I wasn't going to do it but it was just something that was like psh, replaying, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to walk in front of this truck when I'm walking. So I don't have to deal with this shit anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, so you go through a lot of, uh, they try to stable, stabilize you in there on, uh, 
you know, I was, what was it, prestique at the time? I don't know. It didn't work, you know, because my body chemistry didn't function with it. But they also go through things that I've been uh, used to, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, you know, they, they suggested exercise and all that. But at that time, I couldn't because I was so freaking anxious that I couldn't even deal with anything. And I got yeah. out and I was still super anxious, you know. Um, and then it was just over with, with the divorce. And then uh, I was living there with her still waiting for the paperwork to come. So yeah. it's like my anxieties kept building. And then I finally just moved in with my folks to my old room, which is like, what the fuck, you know? Um, yeah. And that's where I went in the second time where I'm like, felt like I was getting too low. You know, I was like, I got to go somewhere. So they, uh, they stabilized me there. And that seems to work the best. Like so far it's been fine. I've been back at work for almost half a year. Um, full time. Cause I was going half time at first. You know, just kind of slowly get back into it. And then, you know, after the divorce, I started hitting the weights, started running again to uh, mm -hmm. balance myself out. I'm in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, I started seeing a woman uh, that I've known for 20 years, Paige, and she's helped me out of a lot of dark spots. So, and, uh, you know, one day at a time, like the uh, yeah. cliche, you know, like yeah. I said, I've never, I've never been in an AA meeting, but I did buy myself a. 15 year chip when I had 15 years on it and a 10 year. And I did go to one meeting for my buddy who does to attend those just to see, cause he needed a ride. And uh, it was interesting. I, I just haven't, I don't know. It wasn't for me, but a yeah. lot of people use that as uh, a way to get, get over the addiction, you know? Mm -hmm. I think um, one thing that you mentioned that I'm, I feel like a lot of people, uh, can relate to. And then there's a lot of people that have never gone through it of what anxiety feels like. And I know for myself, it's a really weird feeling. Like I feel it in my body itself. Like I feel it in my arms and my chest and they're just like really tense. And I'm always, I think the easiest way to say it is I'm so worried about what other people are thinking or something like, um, what it, what's going to happen or, um, like, or I, there's times where I just feel it and I'm feeling really anxious and I know that I can tell I'm anxious, but there's no cause. Like I can't right. figure out the, the root cause of it. And for some reason for myself, figuring out the root cause or the trigger would make me feel better because <laughs> I'm right. like, at least I can fix that. Um, but there's times where I can't even figure out what the root cause is and I'm still feeling it. And it's almost like if you were to consider, uh, like you either freeze, fight, or flight. It's almost like I'm in flight mode, but I have no idea why. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been through it so much that because uh, <laughs> I did the testing because they were trying to figure out the low salts, and then I had super high cortisol, and that's what that is. Uh, what you're talking about, adrenaline and cortisol just keeps dumping, like, and you're not you're not doing anything differently, and there's not there's not an explanation or root cause for it because a lot of times it is just genetic. Um, and it's like fighting the ocean. Like, why does the ocean keep sending waves at me? I got to get to the root cause of it. That's how a lot of psychiatrists have to ex at least try to explain it to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing is I'm German Irish and, uh, there's a huge, they, in world war one, they found that a lot of people of German descent had the panic disorders. Cause, um, when they would put on, 
put on the gas masks, they would all start panicking. There was nothing going on with the respiration. They checked their oxygen and everything else. It was just that it triggered a panic attack. They also say that um, people that do have generalized anxiety disorder or uh, things like that, their genes tend to come from a smarter pool because that was once put in place for you to escape something that was mm-hmm. going to kill you constantly. So your, your genes are doing what they're supposed to, mm-hmm. but we live in a, a world now of over stimulation. Mm-hmm. So that's always firing instead of the normal circadian rhythm where we should be sleeping, mm-hmm. laying around, going to hunt. <laughs> so, yeah. our, you know, techno- the, the, the way the doctors explained it to me, technology has advanced far quicker than we ever can. So mm-hmm. our bodies are still in that fight and fight fight and flight mode from mm-hmm. primordial times and, and we're just constantly stimulating it with dopamine with social media with uh 24-hour news cycle and then it just like you said then then all of a sudden you're, you're having anxiety and you don't even know why and that makes yeah. you more anxious because then you're going to overanalyze that so exactly I mean, it's a loop it is, and, and that's something, like, I've mentioned this book, I'm pretty sure, on, like, literally every po- podcast episode of Your Body Keeps the Score, because a lot of times um, it is something that we went through that's causing it, um, especially, like, I can only imagine, and I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but you talked about the adrenaline and being on the show, and I know that even when I'm about to record a podcast episode, my adrenaline goes up, like, Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting ready in the bathroom and Tyler went to go take a shower. I'm like, you can't take a shower for 15 minutes. That's too much going on. There's too much everything. There's, yeah. I need overstimulated. Just give me a second. Like, don't talk to me. And um, that still happens. And one thing as going through and meeting people is uh, we talked to a health coach and how she talked about it is when, when we're, you know, not dealing with, um, you know, the anxiety and causing the high cortisol, our body's metabolism stops Mm -hmm. because we don't actually like relax enough to let our body metabolize. Because if we're in run mode, it's not going to give us a chance to metabolize because there's so much more important things that our body needs Mm -hmm. to do. And I know for myself, um, this last, uh, or a few weeks ago, I went to the hospital, the hospital, for the fourth time in like a few years and I would have symptoms of, I couldn't breathe very well. I was like headed. I couldn't walk. Like Tyler's had to help me walk and I'd mm-hmm. be crying nonstop. And, um, like I would just like fall asleep and I went to the hospital and they're like, yeah, you don't have anything technically wrong with you. And I'm like, what? And they're like, it's called Crohn's hyperventilation syndrome. Hmm. Wait, what? And they're like, basically, everything you're talking about is when you hyperventilate, your body uh, produces acid that causes all of these symptoms, like tingly hmm. fingers, my face would get tingly, all the other symptoms I just mentioned. And I was just like, I could tell because as soon as he said that, I started feeling better. Yeah. And I was like, so one thing that I've had to start working on for my own mental health is like meditation, deep breathing. Um, and it's just crazy to me because it's, it's such a process and that's something you and I have even talked about is how hard it is sometimes to work on this and 
uh, almost recover from it and because it is a take it day by day oh yeah yeah the, like uh i know all about the box breathing um 444 yep. they, yep. they the navy seals use that and there's another one what five seven eight i can't yeah. there's so many variations of it that works really well uh mm -hmm. like you said the more your oxygen levels go up the lower the cortisol goes the lower your pulse mm -hmm. goes i've mm -hmm. found quick tricks tricks to help me get rid of that cortisol uh vitamin c is a real good one for it uh proper sleep hygiene uh mm -hmm. bananas or a natural beta blocker for your adrenaline um yeah there's a lot of little little hacks but what i found and mostly helps me is is exercise like mm -hmm. in combat like in uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and it's just like i'll go there for two hours and it's more of a workout than you could get in four hours in a gym because you're literally fighting to not die from a choke, yeah. but you know, it's all controlled, but you're also yeah. every muscle you're using. I'm mm -hmm. so relaxed afterward because it's like yeah. the cortisol is like, cool. We, we were used for something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Exactly. And uh, for those of you listening four by four is you take four, uh, like you breathe in for four counts and then you hold it for four counts. You exhale for four counts. And you hold that exhale for four counts, like you just hold it out. <laughs> yeah, typically, typically they say through the nose for the inhale, and then and then you know wait four seconds, and then blow out four seconds through pursed lips. It was a that's a technique the the Navy SEALs would use before a firefight because then they would be they'd have the advantage against someone who's hyped up and doing this where they're yeah. like, but that you know that's a warrior thing. But there's also five, seven, eight which is five in through the nose, seven hold, eight out slowly. Mm -hmm. And uh, they say do three, four times. And I've done it. Mm -hmm. you, you see your pulse drop. and Yep. Yep. And I've done it before where I'm panicking about something. Uh, you know, I'm having an email fight with someone. And then I do that. And I'm like, oh, here's how I actually reply compassionately mm -hmm. instead of, you know, being mean. And I think that's a, that's a huge part of it too. And and I love the conversation that we've had today because it's it's a lot that people don't talk about and oh, how yeah. they do take care of their mental health and also like the shit people go through when they're on tour and and dealing with that, especially I think the sleep hygiene and oh, then yeah. how to choose to finally stop drinking. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you wanted to cover today? Mm, not much. I mean, if you want to check out what I'm doing now, it's Cerro Viejo. It's a C-E-R-O, and then space V-I-E-J-O. It just means old zero. It's just a music project I'm doing. Um, Billmarks.com, I'll plug. I don't know. That's if you wanted to see what I did in my life. And Marks, my last name is M-A-R-C-K-S. It's a weird Eastern German spelling. Other things that I would cover is not everyone was lucky enough to quit drinking and uh there's tons of death in the music industry because I think I was talking about this earlier where in your twenties, it was cool, but you know, I know many people who died uh, in the music industry because they just kept going and uh, mm -hmm. your body can't do that forever, you know? Yeah. And thank uh, you for that. Any words of wisdom or, you know, anything you want to leave the, the listeners with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't, over catastrophize things think 
try to take one step at a time in your thought process if you get too anxious and and conquer one thing at a time that's the best thing i could say because i'm known to want to try to conquer 13 things at the same time and that doesn't work so agreed <laughs> I've only tried that too many times. So. You know what I mean? It doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> no. no. Um, what is something that you're grateful for? I'm grateful that I'm stable enough to have had an hour-long conversation with you without uh, my pulse rate going to 168 and having a panic attack for no reason. I'm, I'm super stable now when I wasn't for two years. So I'm thankful that I get, was able to express myself on this uh podcast slash video cast and hopefully someone could take it and go i'm not alone you know i hope someone yeah. could go whoa okay so if that dude who's who's fighting people in brazilian jiu-jitsu has some fucked up shit going on then i'm cool with it too it's not it's not a non-tough thing to have it's just genetic yeah. it's it's good that to talk about so i'm thankful that i got to put it in words today i guess yay thank mm-hmm. you and Something that I'm really grateful for is even before this and back in the day, because I think I started at GoDaddy in 2015, I think by the end of 2016 is when we met. And I definitely wasn't the person I am today. And you have always been kind. And I appreciate that. And I think that that's taught me a lot over the years of people have all different life experiences and it doesn't matter where you're where you are. You can be kind to others. Perfect. And that goes along with the, and it, they debate the origins of the phrase, but it's be kind to everyone you meet because you don't know what battle they're, they're fighting at the time. Mm-hmm. It was attributed to Plato, but it really was an older scholar, but I'll let you guys Google that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. And uh, thank you for joining the, the podcast today. And I'll talk to you later, Bill. Okay. Thank you. We appreciate you listening to the episode. Please like, follow, and share on our social media at shit to talk about. That is shit the number two talk about. Stay tuned on Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. This episode was made possible by production manager Trom Nguyen, business manager Bill Powell, and your host Jeff.